You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 13th episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. Thanks to all of our listeners uh, for their continued support. Do keep listening to a podcast across various podcasting platforms such as Podbean, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can find the links to uh, our podcast uh, in the description below. Um, do not forget to give us a rating, preferably a five-star rating on whichever platform you listen to us on. Uh, also, do not forget to leave your thoughts in the comment section. Your feedback is valuable uh, for us uh, to, to continue our podcasts in the future as well. Um, you can reach out to us uh, by email. Our email address is armchair.cricket at gmail.com. We have a Twitter handle. Uh, it's at Armchair Crick Pod. Uh, we're sometimes uh, online uh, on Twitter when there is a match ongoing. You can join us there for a banter and also some witticism, witty uh, uh, banter, I can say. Uh, we're also available on Facebook. Uh, of course, you can find a link for this uh, in the description. We also post uh, quizzes and polls over there on our Facebook page or on Twitter. You can, uh, you know, you can follow us there. Um, and please do not forget to spread uh, the word about our podcast. Uh, you know, make sure you uh, spread this across uh, your friend circle or any uh, aficionado of uh, cricket, for that matter. Right uh, now, having said that, let me welcome my co-host Ajit. Hi, Ajit. How are you doing? Hello, Giri. Good evening. I'm doing good. Uh, it's been a very nice week for me. I had a quiet break over the weekend. So I'm back, fully rejuvenated. Uh, maybe I missed a few matches of cricket because of that, but I think we can discuss that as we go into the events of the last week or so, right? Yeah. So, and, how about yeah. you? Well, I've had quite a busy start to the week, but there are also a lot of cricketing events going on. For example, uh -huh. there is a, a T20 match going on right now as we record this episode between uh -huh. uh, when, when West Indies and England. So hopefully yeah. when uh, we are done with the episode, uh, when you're done with recording or towards the end of this episode, we should be able to see an end result there. So yeah, I, we have a packed agenda again this time around. So I would say let's uh -huh. get started. All right. So before we get into the, you know, the matches that have been going on yep. in the last period or so, let's first look at the trivia question of last mm -hmm. week. Of course. So the trivia question last week was, which player has the highest career run aggregate in women's ODI cricket, right? So in the career, which women's ODI player has made the most number of runs as an aggregate, right? So the answer to this question, it was a very easy question. We got two right answers. One, uh, a user by the name of DS Pati uh, on our uh, Podbean app. And the second one, uh, a guy called Chetan Rangnath. I think he's a friend of both of us. He, uh, right, uh, he uh, guessed the answer right on Facebook. So, well, Mithali Raj is the right answer. 
so it's um, you know it's a i think a matter of pride for all indians that vitali uh, raj is uh, heads this list she's she's uh, very accomplished as a batswoman right or a batter and even though she's 36 year old 36 years old she's played at the top level for nearly 20 years uh, she has made uh, 6720 runs in odis and this is uh, the highest aggregate and also she's the only one to have breached the 6000 run mark if you look at the list of other people on this uh, you know uh, highest number of aggregate runs england's charlotte edwards comes in second she's okay. just shy of 6000 at 5992 right okay. and then uh, if you keep going down that list it's 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 a very uh, illustrious list but if you look at those current players who are uh, you know still uh, playing the game and who have a chance of let's say uh, overtaking mithali raj you have stephanie taylor from west indies who's at 5 she has around 4440 runs and then suzy bates from new zealand uh, she has 4392 sara taylor uh, who made uh, who's currently uh, 3958 and amy satterwick the new zealand skipper she's on 3828 but when it comes to indian women's players Anjum Chopra who's already retired had made 2856 runs 2856 and Smriti Mandana is a bit below so she's very close to the 40th position so but mm. i think she still has a long way to go i think uh, given the age and other things that she has on her side right mm. uh, yeah. she has quite a long way to go so you know uh, this this is a very enviable record that uh, uh, Mithali Raj has because if you look at the other people on this list they're very the who's who of women's cricket players this Karen Rolton, Belinda Clark, and Charlotte Edwards in the top five. So this pretty much shows yeah, this this longevity is indeed a true a true uh, mark of greatness when it comes to cricket. Of course, Vitali also averages fifty more than fifty. She has an average of fifty one point three three, and um, she has taken less number of innings than the number two ranked player by far. So uh, some of these things show that she is very consistent, and even though she's played at the top level for twenty years. she's maintained a batting average of more than 50 and uh, there are not many players out there who are able to do this you know in the modern game if you look at it you have kohli you have maybe amla but who's average i think dipped just below 15 in one day at least recently you have kohli you have ab de villiers you know quite a few of these but over a period of 20 year career this is this is fantastic i mean if i dare say not even tendulkar had these uh, such an average in one day right so uh, it's quite yeah. an achievement mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just something something positive to talk about uh, before we move on so yeah. mm-hmm. now uh, let's now look at uh, the test series that had just finished in the previous period so it is the first test between uh, new zealand and bangladesh so this finished decisively in new zealand's favor but would you like to take us through what happened in this match kid yeah this is a three test series right um between huh? new zealand and bangladesh uh, uh-huh. while we were recording our previous episode we had just um finished the first day's play or we were in fact about to start the second day's play to be honest uh-huh. um so if we look at the score that was on uh, at the end of uh, the first day's play was uh, <clears throat> new zealand were 86 for no loss Um, so mm-hmm. G Travel and uh, Tom Latham were at the crease. G Travel had already made a 50 by then, and we had kind of spoken about this that G Travel is due a big score. You know, he has he had not yet scored his first century in Test cricket, mm-hmm. um, and looks like our prophecy was realized by him. 
mm-hmm. so he he went on to make a century a big one or the big one at that mm-hmm. um, so he made 132 runs um, and the first wicket partnership between these two guys uh, g travel and uh, tom latham was 254 runs that's a big uh, partnership mm-hmm. um, and tom latham himself went on to make a century uh, also a big one 161 runs um, mm-hmm. and of course you know uh, because these two guys were cashing in and uh, it was such a good pitch to bat on Kane Williams Kane Williamson uh, had to put up a big score so he promptly scored a double century mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy mm-hmm. is so prolific you know uh, is 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 one of the all time greats uh, to be honest i think he's currently he's currently in the top 3 but he may even become top 1 uh, you know to reach the top position we'll come to that in a bit uh-huh. um the middle order ross taylor was not uh, so successful he got out for four but uh, henry nichols made a 50. Um, neil wagner chipped in with uh, 47 runs watling was his steady self uh, for 31 runs and colin de granholm uh, provided some fireworks towards the end Mm-hmm. to help new zealand reach a score of a mammoth score of 715 for six declared mm-hmm. so you can imagine they wouldn't want to bat again they would not bat again um and let us remind ourselves bangladesh were 234 all out in their first innings so so in the end uh, what was the lead um it, it was well over um, 454 mm-hmm. i think close to 480 runs if i'm not exactly wrong. something yeah. like that 486 something like that. or some such yeah so i think there was only one way out of this uh, for bangladesh they had to force a draw i i mean first of all they had to uh, you know fight for their existence stay mm-hmm. or bat long as long as they could mm-hmm. um so they they began well uh tamimic well before we go there just to quickly mention um the bowling figures, um, just like <laughs> these batsmen, there was also a double centurion uh, for Bangladesh. An unfortunate record to have: 246 runs for two wickets by Mehdi Hassan, uh, the spinner. And there were wow. other couple of okay. guys who also scored centuries mm-hmm. from the bowling side, but not a record, uh, you know, to be proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but coming back to Bangladesh's second innings. Uh, so they had a good partnership, uh, first wicket partnership for 88 runs. Tamim Iqbal was again explosive, very uh, quick. Uh, in mm-hmm. his run scoring, he made 74 runs, missed out on a century. Uh, he, f- he, of course, made that century, quick century uh, in the first innings. Uh, uh-huh. Shadman, uh, Shadman Islam made 37 runs. But after that, the number three and number four, Mumin al Haq and uh, Mohammad Mithun, both of them got out cheaply. Uh, Mithun for a duck, in fact. And then there was a sort of a revival between these guys, Soumya Sarkar and Mohamedullah, the captain Mohamedullah, and they put on, um, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a long partnership. They they put on more than 200 runs. In fact, I think it was something like 200, uh, 240 runs, just over 240 runs for this um, fifth wicket. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of them went on to make centuries. Soumya Sarkar made 149, missed out on a he could have gone on to play much more i would say mohammed mm-hmm. made uh, 146 mm-hmm. and then the others just fell apart i think they were the, the innings was not there uh, they just folded after that uh, for 429 so 
New Zealand won the match by an innings and 52 runs. Uh, looking at the scorecard, a bowling scorecard of New Zealand in the sec- Bangladesh second innings, mm-hmm. uh, Trent Bolt uh, got five wickets, although he got whacked for 123 runs. Uh, that's quite a bit of runs, quite a lot of runs, but because Bangladesh also made 429, so you can imagine mm-hmm. even for that. Um, Team Saudi got three wickets for 98 runs. Um, Neil Wagner, again, got two wickets mm-hmm. for 104 runs. He, of course, we need to remind ourselves that he picked up five wickets in the first innings, which turned out to be, uh, you know, which actually had a huge impact um, and on this match because Bangladesh uh, were bowled out for 234 instead of maybe making 300 or 350. Maybe the, mm-hmm. uh, the game would have looked a bit different then. Um, for his, um, you know, big 200, Kane Williamson was awarded player of the match. Yeah. And New Zealand lead the series, three match series by 1-0 at the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, that was uh, comprehensive coverage of the events of this test. So just if you look at it from a statistical perspective, right? So this is the first time ever New Zealand have crossed the 700 run mark in a test innings. So this is very well played by them. Not only that, I think they managed to score at a very lively rate, 4.38. So this sort of showed how inexperienced the um, Bangladeshi lineup was. Mm. Because, look, we already covered this in a previous podcast that their fast bowling attack was very naive. But it also came across that, you know, uh, Mehdi Hassan, who, who has uh, quite a bowling pedigree already in tests, right? But this is one of his uh, first overseas tours. I think he's still learning when it comes to that. And uh, this was a rude awakening. You rightly pointed out. He went at 5 and over and considered 246 runs. So he let's say, made a double 100 of his own, but not the sort he would have liked, I'm sure, right? So, this coupled with, you know, Kane Williamson sort of held fort one one end. So, he, even though he absorbed two for 257 balls only for his 200, that is very rapid eh, compared to 200s that we have seen before. Mm. But, um, you know, he held like one end up for nearly six hours of play, six and a half hours of play. That enabled batsmen coming in the other end Look, one of the middle-order batsmen was bound to fail because uh, the top order already was so strong. The first wicket partnership was 254 runs already, right? This in itself is a record. So, this 254 runs that has been added by Jeet Rawal and um, Tom Latham is the highest partnership for New Zealand for the first wicket mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. since 2003, apparently. So, this is the first time in 16 years that they were able to cross 250-run mark. Right. So when that happens, one of the middle order batsmen fails. So Taylor could not make much of it. But because Kane Williamson was able to provide a steady, you know, the steadying influence on one end, every batsman that came in could go after the bowling. So Nichols played at you know, typical test innings. He took 81 balls for his 53. But then Wagner was the tail ender who was promoted as the night watchman at the end of the third day, um, at the end of the second day, decided to hit out. Right. So he's gone on and he's hit a better than a runner ball 47. Watling, he's known for his rare guard. So he sort of did again, sort of a very test, uh, test like innings. He scored it under a 50 strike rate. But then Colin de Grantham is made for these sort of uh, innings, right? So he hit a 76 or just 53. So overall, in batting just 163 overs, I don't know if even the third new ball was called for because there was a lot of leather chasing going on. <laughs> they were able to pile up 715 runs. 
So this, as you rightly said, this is a completely decisive total. There is no coming back from here. What surprised me when I look at the approach of Bangladeshis were, first of all, they were very brave in the second innings. So if you look at the way Swamya Sarkar and Mahmudullah played, and even Tamim Iqbal and Shadman right at the top, they were not afraid of the short bowling anymore. I think their sort of hesitancy in the playing the short ball, as we discussed in the previous episode, they had given seven of their top uh, first innings, ten wickets to short balls. They came out firing, all guns blazing, right? So they sort of set the momentum right at the top. Tamil and Shadman Islam, and they went after the short ball. Mm-hmm. And sort of, you could almost say, Neil Wagner was sort of not as effective as normal because he, he was going at 4.3 and over. He never does that. He's usually very, very, you know, he keeps the scoring tight as well, not just attacking, right? And if you look at their uh, run rate in the second innings, they scored at more than 4 and over. So even though they made 429, they only played 100 overs uh, in the second innings. So it's a, it's, we should give them some credit. This was sort of contrary to the sort of approach you would have expected a test match team to have come out to bat, right? Normally, there have been quite a few rare guy draws. So, least of all, in New Zealand itself, Sri Lanka showed it. When, uh, you know, Kusal Mendes and Angelo Matthews were able to block off a day and a half, right? Mm-hmm. It happened last winter, right? Mm-hmm. So, they chose the opposite approach. They went after the bowling. So, Soumya Sarkar and Mahmudullah, I saw some of the highlights of this. Uh, of their innings, they were fantastic. They both attacked the short ball right through. Uh, Soumya Sarkar made 149, 149 from just 171 balls. Mahmudullah was a bit more sedate. He took 229 balls or his 146. But all of them made sure that by the time Mahmudullah got out, there was no doubt which way the test match was headed. But for a while, so for a very brief while, between the two of them, they sparked a chance that you know, New Zealand may have to bat again. That in itself was a creditable thing to achieve, right? Considering they were more than 480 runs behind. So they nearly achieved that. So all in all, they fell uh, too far behind on the first innings and there was no way back from there. And a little bit of credit to Bangladesh with what they did. And of course, Bolt, he's progressing from strength to strength. He took another 5-4 in the decisive innings, Mm. right? Mm. So a lot of credit to him. And he kept, he kept, he kept trying to get wickets, even though he went for also 4.4 and more or so. He kept trying to get wickets. Saudi did his bit. And as you rightfully said, Wagner turned it off. So overall, a thorough performance by New Zealand. So they take the 1-0 test match going into the other, uh, you know, tests of the series. And as, you know, another small statistical highlight, what you already said, Kane Williamson is about to overtake uh, Kohli. At least given that there are two more tests and he's only seven points behind Kohli. We can very much expect that he will probably overtake Kohli. Going into the World Cup, he'll be the top-ranked test batsman. I know that sounds a bit of an oxymoron, but nonetheless, I think this guy will very deservedly take his place right at the top of the test batting uh, rankings. Uh, He's as consummate a batsman as any. You know, if you look at the top four batsmen of the modern era, they say Steve Smith, Kohli, Joe Root, and Kane Williamson. Of these four, this guy was was not yet, you know, uh, on top of the test batch batting rankings. And the other three have all been at one point in time or the other, right? Mm-hmm. So, he deservedly will get a chance to also sit atop the line, rankings. Also, some of the other movers, when you look at the rankings, uh, Ledham has moved up to 11, right? And then um, Tamim Iqbal, right? And then Soumya Sarkar, uh, they all sort of gained, right? Mahmudullah also made a small gain. So, it was overall a bad batting test match, but New Zealand's bowlers were very heavy and they managed to win the test. 
So it's just some statistical highlights from this test. So, well, I mean, I think there is quite a lot to look forward to in the upcoming two tests as well. In the upcoming episodes, we, we will cover those. So I think I have a feeling Bangladesh will probably not go down to so easily. They went down in the first test, but they showed a lot of heart. And going up, going into the other tests, maybe if they don't repeat the same mistakes they did on the first afternoon, first day's afternoon, you know, mm. I think they, they they will do really well. So let's see how it goes. Right? Yeah. Anything else to add from your side? Um, they can probably take a leaf out of Sri Lanka's book. Uh, what they did, <clears throat> you know, just you have to occupy the crease. I think that's also the. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's going to be interesting how they come back. Uh, they still have, I think they, they miss their key players, like uh, uh, the, especially the bowlers, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the seamers. I think they're uh, fast bowling attack or seamer, seamers, uh, set of seamers that, that played in this test match were kind of newbies. So I think we discussed this in our previous episode as well. They have some five test matches in between them, and one of them was a debutant. So um, mm-hmm. let's see. I think it's going to be, well, it's co- probably going to be one sided again, but. Um, I would like to see some fight from. Uh, Indeed. Yeah. Now it will it will transpire that there will be some interesting test matches coming up, the last before the World Cup. So I'm hoping that they'll be interesting mm. for us, right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. Right. All right then. Now uh, I think we can go on to the number of ODI series that are in progress, both in men's and women's cricket. So yeah. let's start with the South Africa versus Sri Lanka ODI series. So after that uh, very exciting test match series. Mm. The caravan uh, has moved on and come to the ODI series. So, would you like to take us through the first ODI, Giri? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so, first ODI was, was played at the Heifel, um, Johannesburg. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. And um, this was um, a throwback to the old times. I think this has been kind of a week. Uh, this, the, the previous uh, week or so has been... Uh, um has been seeing a lot of uh, one day matches which have been low scoring um mm-hmm. you know going back to the 90s we had uh, similar uh, one day matches when we were growing up if you remember which which have been you know uh, i think it's 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 um it's it's good to see that these types of games are also becoming uh, uh, you know relevant in this day and age because because of, uh, with the advent of T20 cricket, the game has been leaning far too much in batsmen's favor. And mm-hmm. to see a game which has lower scores will always have something for the bowlers. So the bowlers can showcase their skills and also make uh, a good viewing, you know, uh, if you mm-hmm. if you like cricket overall, not just batting, but overall cricket. So coming back to uh, this match uh, at Wanderers, South Africa won the toss and they decided to field first. Sri Lanka, um, the openers did not do so well, um, but making his comeback to the team was Lungi Angiri, the fast bowler um, from uh, South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another guy who was brought in, I think he in fact made his debut, was mm-hmm. uh, Andrik uh, Nortje, mm-hmm. an out and out fast bowler, another exciting prospect. For us to talk about, hopefully he'll be there for many years. Uh-huh. Also playing test cricket, test cricket. Uh, hopefully in place of uh, Duan Olivia, who has left South Africa now. So look mm-hmm. forward to this guy in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so Sri Lanka did not begin so well. They lost a couple of early wickets, 
um, the, the openers Dikwella and Taranga got out cheaply, uh, both claimed by Engidi. And then Kusal Pereira and uh, Oshada Fernando, these two guys put on a steady partnership for, of uh, 76 runs for th the third wicket. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Pereira got out, I think, to Imran Tahir. Um, he was caught, up, caught behind mm -hmm. um, for 33. Uh, so he did not convert that uh, start into a big score. Uh, but Oshada Fernando was looking good. Uh, and he kind of began a nice, I think, maybe as uh, Kusal Mendes walked in, they had a kind of a mix-up. Uh, they were both caught uh, ball watching and uh, Oshada Fernando was unfortunately run out. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think uh, Sri, La Sri Lanka were then four down for 101 runs. And uh -huh. in came Dananjaya de Silva. Uh, together yeah. with uh, Kusal Mendes, this turned out to be a key partnership for them to consolidate their innings uh, and try to put up a competitive score on board. These two guys put up a partnership of 94 runs for the fifth wicket um, before uh, Dhananjaya de Silva was claimed by Imran Tahir. It was brilliantly stumped of, uh, you know, uh, Quinton de Kock. It was a classical leg spinner's dismissal, turning uh, drift in and turn away, miss the outside edge to be stumped by the keeper. It was very nice to watch this mm -hmm. uh, from a bowler's perspective. Yeah. Uh, and after this guy um, got out in quick succession was uh, Kusal Mendes. He made 60 runs. Dhananjaya made 39. So once Kusal Mendes got out, Sri Lanka kind of lost their way uh, and mm -hmm. they, they collapsed. So from a position of strength of 195 for four, Dhananjaya mm -hmm. got out. So it became 195 for five. Kusal Mendes was dismissed at the score of 210. So he was a sixth wicket to fall. And then soon after, Sri Lanka were bowled out for 231 runs. Um, the only contribution down the order coming from Malinga, the captain, mm -hmm. 15 runs. But apart from that, guys like uh, Tisara Pereira, uh, Akila Dhananjaya, you know, these two guys did not contribute. And Sandakan and uh, Vishwa Fernando, the tailenders, didn't have much to do either. Mm -hmm. um, with impressive figures of three for 26, three wickets for 26 runs, Imran Tahir stood out there. Uh, mm -hmm. It was wonderful to see a leg spinner in action. He was bowling with uh, a lot of control, a guile, accuracy, everything was there. And he turned out to be the guy who made the impact, which turned the match in South Africa's favor with those wickets of uh, Kusal Mendes and uh, Dhananjaya de Silva. Uh, Lungi Ngiri also got three wickets, but went for 60 runs. Rabada, one for 48. And uh, the debutant, Andrik Nortje, he got mm -hmm. a wicket. He got his uh, maiden uh, ODI wicket. And he went mm -hmm. for 33 runs in his uh, seven overs. Yeah. Um, so South African uh, innings, um, Riza Hendricks was dismissed very early in the innings. Uh, when the score was 14 runs, he got out for one run. And then Faf Duplessis and Quinton de Kock basically took the game away from uh, Sri Lanka. They played attacking cricket, but measured at the same time. Quinton de Kock, mm -hmm. we know he's an attacking player. Uh, he always go for his shot. He goes for his shots. Uh, he missed out on a century. He made 81 runs before he was adjudged LBW to uh, uh, Dananjaya, Akila Dananjaya. Mm -hmm. And um, 
uh, Faf went on to make an unbeaten century, 112 runs from 114 deliveries, almost run a mm-hmm. ball. And he mm-hmm. took South Africa home along with uh, Rassi van der Dusen, yeah. Yeah. who was unbeaten on 32 runs. Mm-hmm. For Sri Lanka, they, the bowlers, yeah, there was not much to talk about since only two wickets fell um, mm-hmm. for, so, from uh, South Africa's perspective. Um, Vishwa Fernando got a wicket and also Akila Dhananjaya there. Uh, player of the match was Faf Duplessis for his century and uh, for taking them home. And uh, South yeah. Africa now lead the series, five-match, uh, one-day series, uh, with mm-hmm. a lead of 1-0. to zero. Of course. Yeah. Well, if you were to look at com- some, you know, statistical things from the match, right? Let's start uh, right at the top of what you said. You know, Imran Tahir, 10 for uh, 10 hours, 26 for 3, probably deserved mm-hmm. the match, except yeah. if there was a... If there wasn't a hundred uh, from somebody, I think he would have gotten the man of the match. That was that good a spell. You are absolutely right. This was some of those balls were fantastic. The ball to dismiss Tananjaya, this ball. So how he, you know, um, uh, got Mendes to play a fall shot was on sixty, mm. right? Mendes. Mm. I think those were the key wickets there that sort of broke uh, the back of Sri Lankan innings there. Because also, uh, if you were to go a little back, you know, the way Oshada Fernandez, uh, Oshada Fernandez. I'm sorry. Yeah, so that was something you corrected me off here as well. Uh, it's it's like uh, medicine or something from our part of the world. Oshada, right? Oshada, yeah. So the mm-hmm. uh, the way this guy was dismissed, I think this brings back uh, some of the golden, you know, golden age of running, so to say, kind of, <laughs> or the lack of it. You know, in 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 the nineties, we had some fun uh, pairs that ran with each other between the wickets, right? So uh, we could just quickly go through that, but before we go there, you know. Running is always uh, one of the more tenuous parts of batting, they say. Mm. Because as a batter, you know, when you hit your shots, you are in control. But when you run, you are also at the mercy of your partner, right? So why why they say this is that, you know, um, Len Hutton, uh, the great Len Hutton from England, he was he was very good with batting. But the only thing about it was whenever he called you for a run apparently that was just mm-hmm. a basis for further negotiation it was not a really <laughs> call for a run apparently this guy who has a test match batting average of 55 right he played before right. one day but this guy was so good with batting except when it came to running he was not reliable and sometimes you know run outs have also been used as weapons so to say uh, why i'll tell you is uh, in the you know early to mid 80s there was this match i remember it was early 80s and england were trying to go after a target it was fourth or the fifth day afternoon and they had a good chance. They had what you would call a one-day chance of chasing down a target. Mm-hmm. On one end was a certain Mr. Jeffrey Boycott who was batting obstinately, mm-hmm. right? And he wouldn't budge. So mm-hmm. this guy is just blocking over after over and with every over he's eating, the team's required run rate is increasing. He's happy to stay there. But England want to win the match. So what do they do? They send a young whippersnapper called Ian Botham. Right. Two down. Mm-hmm. And this guy, as Mr. Sidhu would have put it very eloquently, calls boycott for a run, then doesn't run, and boycott does a run out. And as Sidhu would have put it, he threw a downing man both ends of the rope, right? <laughs> or, I mean, or uh, sometimes they used to tease Ganguly, if you remember, how they used to call it. Yes, yes, no, no, thank you, goodbye, or some such. This sort of <laughs> negotiation of a run, right? This yeah, is what yeah. Botham did. and. Boycott in the middle of the pitch realized what had happened. He had been run out so that the team could get on with the business of trying to win the match. I mean, as it goes right, down, yeah. mm-hmm. 
as it goes down they couldn't win the match jeffrey boycott had done the damage in air quotes mm-hmm. so to say mm-hmm. so the match ended in a draw but when he walked off the pitch apparently jeffrey boycott is supposed to have turned towards watham and said what have you done what have you done really mm-hmm. because he was so livid at being run out and when he realized he was a fool mm-hmm. he was made a fool of by a young guy like watham he lost his cool so anyway uh, these are some anecdotes but if you were to quickly look at the top 5 most run out batsmen in the history of one day cricket right just just a small small compilation i found online they are all south asians i don't know if it surprises you but uh, if you look at you know the this list you wouldn't think they are slow runners mm-hmm. you know one or two candidates you might think might be a bit slow but the rest are all good runners but then they are probably bad judges of a run or they were yeah. unlucky enough to bat with somebody else who did not trust their runner for example so mm-hmm. at number 5 is yusuf yohana or mohammad yusuf right mm-hmm. he was run out 38 times and he played 288 one days so that's a very significant number of that's more than that's close to 15% of his dismissals in one days he was run out right and then you have mahela jayawardena who played more than 400 odis but still he was run out 39 times so 39 out of 448 is not that bad still the number is very high right so if you look at the percentage yohana or mohammad yusuf had a percentage of 13. Point, you know 6 as is you know percentage of dismissals and uh, jayawardena has only uh, 9.33% of run outs but still the number 39 is very high the next person on this list is a surprise it's rahul dravid right mm-hmm. he played 344 games but he was run out 40 times and then the percentage is 12.58 which is not very low right and you could imagine none of these three players were slow probably between the wickets mm-hmm. they were just bad judges of a run or they probably sacrificed their wickets a couple of times going for a quick mm-hmm. run towards mm-hmm. the end of the innings this sort of stuff right mm-hmm. the next candidate on the list would not be a surprise to many people so it's inzamamul haq so he was run out 40 times as well and he played 378 one days so the percentage is 11.43 which is surprisingly lower than that of yohana and travel uh, mm. but with what you realize is you know uh, they both ran with each other quite a lot i think yohana <laughs> so that must have been quite a few hard hard pumping moments for the coach and the batting order that followed these mm. people mm. which is following, mm. just following the run between them you know and the last man or the top ranked person on this list is again a sri lankan it's marwan atapattu You know, he was run out 41 times, but just out of 268 one day. Right, so, right. you can imagine this is 16% of his total dismissal. So, this is a very high percentage. So, again, except in Jamam, if at all it's in Jamam, there is nobody on that list who is a slow runner. But also, as you rightly pointed out when you were discussing it offline, they were all very language stroke makers. So, they probably yeah. didn't like much to run, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right? So well, probably they have a bat in their hand, right? So bat bat is meant to do the talking, not the running. I guess uh, they <laughs> they held batting more than running in high regard. I can imagine, but you can also use the bat to ground it, you know, when you're running. But I mean, mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into that discussion later. So they just thought the bat was for hitting. I'm sure that's why they had so many runs. So can happen, can happen. Yeah, yeah. Just some small, you know, small discussion point. It is an interesting one for us, right? So the yeah. other one. uh you you mentioned uh, anrik nortje very nice guy a very nice fast bowler 
I'm sure he's not a nice guy. That's not what I meant. Because fast bowlers are not supposed to be nice people or nice guys, right? They're supposed to be snarling, hard, in-your-face mm-hmm. sort of people. Mm-hmm. This guy looks like a lineage of, you know, um, one of the other famous, very grumpy fast bowlers from South Africa. You know, Honey De Villiers. Or, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, who, who was the other fast bowler from South Africa? He did not have a very long... Uh, Andre Nell. Andre Nell. Yeah. Yes, he, he looks very much in that mold. Like mm-hmm. a grumpy, serious fast bowler. But mm-hmm. what I saw was, uh, first of all, he's 25. So he's, he, he has a very strong first-class record that backs him up. So he's played 47 uh, first-class matches and he, had a, he has 162 wickets and 30 list year matches, but 45 wickets in that as well. Mm-hmm. So probably this guy has seen quite a lot of you know ups and downs, given that he's 25. And he was already, he was already doing good in the under-19 South Africa teams mm-hmm. so maybe you know uh, this guy boards really well especially given that uh, they have lost uh, some fast bowlers recently right mm-hmm. Don Olive chose to uh, join Colpac recently so mm-hmm. this guy would be an ideal guy to fill in that role there's also Dane Peterson who's also played in the um, who's also around let's say mm-hmm. who has been playing last year or so then you know the, between Dane Peterson and this guy I think they're really rapid I mean not just I mean I think when you saw uh, not your ball, I think you saw a bit of a uh, very young DS thing. That, you know, the hurrying up of the batsman, bowling in the 140s consistently and giving a stare or a word or two, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that looked really nice. So, I mean, let's hope this guy is able to mature and take his place in the test team if required, you know, and probably commit a few years to South Africa cricket. I think uh, test cricket and South Africa cricket will really benefit from somebody yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah. I think know? that's the biggest challenge for them. Uh, they, I hope they don't lose this guy also to call back because uh, I saw this interview of uh, Faf uh, uh-huh. I think, uh, before this uh, match against uh, Sri Lanka, this one day match. And he was, you know, he was quite sad. He expressed it uh, explicitly, in fact, that he was really sad to see Duan Olivier go and that uh, Duan Olivier was probably thinking about this uh, even since the beginning of the Pakistan uh, test series, you know, even mm-hmm. since the end of last year, he was already, you know, thinking about this. Uh, mm-hmm. And he he only came out clean, uh, you know, earlier uh, or towards the end of February, and when a decision had to be made, when he had to sign those papers. So it's very sad to see him go. So I hope mm-hmm. this uh, at least uh, Notia gets uh, a longer run, and he also gets a good contract so that he can stay with the South African cricket team, and he's mm-hmm. not lured away. Let's hope so, because you know, with uh, it's just days remaining for the end of Brexit, if at all it happens. Mm. And uh, probably end of the call pack deal possible, you know. Mm. Uh, Morne Markle sort of prophesied the other way. He said <clears throat> South Africa is in danger of losing quite a lot of players because these are the last days of call pack, and quite a few players might be looking for a last cast deal, you know. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> let's let's hope this doesn't come too much. It's, um, it's, it's like it's just... that uh, transfer window in football. You know, exactly. they have a transfer window at uh, the uh, beginning of a season and uh, in the middle during the winter months. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, well. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Another small point is that uh, Imran Tahir has uh, announced that he'll be retiring at the end of the World Cup from the Mondayers, right? So this is this is um, yeah, such a momentous news as far as he's concerned. And it was a good uh, career he was able to force for himself once he decided to switch his allegiances to South Africa, right? So he'll be he'll be on the wrong side of forty. So well, uh, we wish him all the best and uh, his, yeah. his his spirit. And his uh, whatever he bought to South African team will be missed for sure. The not only yeah.
he bought the team, right? Anyway, now if you were to go forward, uh, let's quickly go through a couple of uh, one-day series that are in progress. So the first one is Afghanistan versus Ireland. So the second um, one-dayer just uh, recently happened. And uh, this was happening at Dehradun, which is the de facto home for uh, Afghanistan. So there, finally, Ireland were able to win a match. So this this was the third ODA of the tour. And um, <clears throat> this was a day-nighter. And this match happened today, this fifth. Right. So batting first, uh, Afghanistan were restricted to um, mm -hmm. only 256 per eight. So mm -hmm. uh, they were not even, uh, they were well, they were in danger of being bowled out. Let me put it like this. Mm -hmm. So they were, let's say, 74 for five. And they were really looking down the bar barrel and there was not a lot of batsmen left. But uh, first of all, the captain, Asghar Afghan, stood up and he absorbed a lot of balls and made sure he guided a young Najibul Azadran through. And uh, towards the end of the innings, Najibul Azadran hit out. And even though Asghar Afghan could not complete 100, uh, between them, they ensured that Afghanistan got to 256 for 8, which was more than a challenging total when they're bowling. Right? But um, I think Ireland had a very consummate chase. So they began slowly, and their openers could not contribute much. But uh, Balbirni, uh, Andrew Balbirni, who batched up 3, uh, made a better at a run a ball 145 to ensure that uh, they just got through. And uh, he was well supported by Kevin O'Brien initially for 21. for twenty one, And then George Dockerell, who well started his career as a spinner, but now has established himself as a middle and lower middle order batsman. He scored a slow but a steady 54 to ensure that there were no panics. And even though they lost a couple of wickets towards the end, uh, Ireland uh, finished the match comfortably with an over to spare and four wickets to spare. So, Surprisingly, none of these mystery spinners that Afghanistan has in their lineup, Mujibur Rahman or Rashid Khan, or even to a large extent, Samuel Ashanwari. So they had three leg break bowlers. None of them could make it happen. Also, they had Mohammad Nabi and Dalat Zadran. They couldn't make much of an dent in this case. So the five-match series is level one all. So uh, going forward, I think we'll get a chance to cover the, some of the other matches as well in the series. So it's an interesting series. It stands poised one all, having uh, blanked Ireland three nil in the T20s. I think Ireland are now fighting back, right? Yeah. All right then. If I were to look at uh, the other ODI series, this is the India versus England women's ODI series, right? That's ongoing. So this was the first ODI match again. It was played on the fourth yesterday, and then um, so it's a well, it's a T20 actually. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It's not an ODI. So in this case, it was played in Guwahati. And then batting first, the England woman, um, they made uh, 160. And uh, so basically, they had a strong start with Danny White and Beaumont giving them a solid start. And then um, they had uh, Heather Knight, the captain, capitalizing on it. And they got to 160. Uh, there was nothing much to write home about the Indian bowlers. And then when it came, their turn to bat, the Indian top order completely failed them. So, uh, if you remember, they are without uh, their gun player, Amran Pritkar, in the series because she's out injured. Mm. And um, Mandana is leading the troops. And uh, as, as is the recent norm, Mithali Raj does not play in the T20 matches. So, they sorely missed that experience of both probably Mithali Raj. Uh, well, Mithali Raj, in this case, I think she filled the shoes. She was allowed to play in, uh, in the place of, uh, um, you know, Harman Preet. But there wasn't much that they could do so they were five for 46 uh, chasing 160 and that was that so they they were able to finish the innings at 119 for six but that was still a comfortable victory 
for England. So uh, I think we can also cover uh, more matches. I think Veda Krishnamurti has finally been brought back, right? She's been brought back, but she was not able to make much of uh, an impact in the middle order. She just made 15 yeah. runs. But maybe, you know, going forward, maybe there is more that we can expect from mm. this series. Now, if you were to look at the other women's cricket that's going on, it's the Rose Bowl. So the last match of the Rose Bowl was played in Melbourne and uh, Australia won this match comfortably. So this match was played on the 3rd of March. So batting first, New Zealand women made 231 for 8 with Sophie Devine making 58 and Amy Satterthwaite, the captain, making 49 and Katie Perkins 41. But, um, well, Australia chased it down without too much of uh, issue. Uh, they were able to chase it down with just three wickets lost and with more than two hours to spare. And they had steady contributions from all their batswomen right down the order. And I think Elise Perry made 54 in the end, but there were no other 50s, but there were three other 40s. So there was a 46, 46 and a 48 with the top three. And that more or less ensured the match was finished without too many uh, drama, too many issues. So now this leaves us with uh, the two remaining one dayers. So the first one day series is India versus Australia. So we had two one dayers that took place in the interim. So the first one day was on third and the second was on fifth. So if you were to start with the first one, Giri, would you like to take us through the first one day between India and Australia? Yeah. Um, so the first one day match uh, of this five match series, if I'm not wrong, was played at um, Hyderabad, Rajiv Gandhi International Stadium. Uh-huh. Um, um, the like I said uh, about uh, the the match which was which was played between uh, uh, Sri Lanka and South Africa. This was a similar one in terms of the runs that were scored. It was not a big 300 plus uh, match. It was one which was you know a, a mid 200s like 240 250 uh, run kind of a match. Um, Australia won the toss and decided to bat first on this occasion. Um, um, Ashton Turner, uh, who played for Perth Scorchers, I believe, in BBL, owing to his good uh, BBL form, he was uh, drafted in. He got his debut then. Uh-huh. Uh, he made his debut in this match. So mm-hmm. Ashton Turner uh, made the debut, and Australia uh, came out to bat with uh, Khwaja and uh, Aaron Finch. Aaron Finch mm-hmm. was out, out for a duck. Uh, Khwaja made a 50. Um, uh, Marcus Toynis was promoted to number three, uh, but he plays normally. Uh, you know, in the, in the recently concluded BBL, he used to open for uh, Melbourne uh, Renegades. Renegades, yeah, Renegades. So he batted number three. Um, he made 37 runs, but didn't convert that into into a big score. Uh, Hanscom got a start, 19 runs, didn't make much further. Uh, of uh, you know uh, didn't go further than that um the the hero from the t20 series glenn maxwell made 40 runs but could not go further so looking at this you know there was a trend australian batsmen got starts but they did not convert that into a bigger score um similarly ashton turner the man on debut he made 21 runs that's it he was out uh but Thanks to Ash um, AJ AT Carey, what's his first name? Ashley, is it uh, Alex. Alex? Alex, I'm sorry. Alex, Alex, Carey. Alex, Alex Carey, um, and Nathan Coulton. I uh, added some, uh, you know, quick uh, hits towards the end. 
to um, leave Australia's score at 236 for the loss of seven wickets towards the end. Mm-hmm. The standout bowler for uh, India was Mahomet Shami. Uh, he bowled beautifully um, at the top of the uh, order mm-hmm. as well as towards the end. Uh, he basically uh, got two wickets and considered only 44 runs. Uh, in those 10 overs that he bowled, two of them were maidens. So, well done to him. Uh, Jaspreet Bumrah went for a few runs this time. Uh, he went for 60 runs in his 10 overs, but still managed to pick up two wickets. Um, the other guy who was in and amongst the wickets was uh, Kedar Jadav with his uh, flat... <laughs> Pice. Um, Kuldeep Yadav just showing us what he can do in uh, one day cricket. Also picked up two wickets for 46 runs. The wicket taking the most, uh, I think, is the attacking uh, option that India have. So he always uh, manages to uh, pick up a wicket or two. And when he's playing along mm-hmm. with uh, Yusvendra Chahal, they, they're both you know, picking up something like three to four wickets in their 20 overs. Uh, mm-hmm. especially during you know the boring middle overs period so i think that's where they throw their weight in um in reply india um i think shikhar dhawan got out uh, of his first ball um, to nathan coulton nile nathan coulton nile had a very good match uh, he bowled really well in this match uh, rohit chama got off to a start he made 30 runs he looked a bit scratchy he was not so fluent he was hitting some force um, quite fluently like he does, but in between, he was getting beaten way too often. Uh, and uh, he was playing some very scratchy shots. In the end, he got out for 37, which he made from 66 deliveries. So it's, it's uh, it was a bit of a slow innings from him. Um, Virat Kohli made 44 runs. He was batting really nicely until uh, um, Adam Zampa, you know, uh, trapped him in front with... Uh, uh, with a flipper, got him uh, LBW. Uh, Ambati Raidu uh, made 13 runs, was not effective at all, and then in walked uh, Mahindra Singh Dhoni along with uh, Kedar Jadav. Um, the experience mm-hmm. that these guys have, especially Mahindra Singh Dhoni, we've come to see this uh, Dhoni, you know, in the recent past. He always starts very slow. He looks very scratchy. He looks uh, very, uh, you know, he, he's far from fluent. But then uh, I think his motto is to stay there till the end. Uh, and when he stays till the end, India usually end up winning more often uh-huh. than not. And this was one of those innings. He made a 50, 59 from 72 deliveries, um, but he was not out at the end. But he, uh, Kedar Jadav actually um, was the more attacking of these two guys. He made 81 runs from 87 deliveries. Always taking off pressure, for, you know, from Dhoni whenever Dhoni was struggling. Um, so these two guys managed to pull it off for India in the end with an over to with an over to spare. I think there were ten deliveries remaining. So India made 240 for four. Australian bowlers uh, didn't do so bad, um, and um, uh, I think mm-hmm. uh, Nathan Coulton Nile was the pick of their bowlers. He picked up two wickets for 46 runs. Uh, in his nine overs, uh, of which two were maidens. So we, I think they, Shami and uh, Coulton Nile had similar uh, figures there if you look at the scorecard. Pat Cummings 
didn't have any wickets. Jason Berendolf also didn't have any wickets, but they were reasonably economical considering it was a low-scoring game. Low-scoring, mm-hmm. yeah, more or less, I would say. Adam Zampa bowled really well uh, with his leg spin. Of course, leg spinners always, you know, uh, they they um, they they are an attacking option, so they also go for a bit of runs uh, now and then. So he picked up two wickets for 49 runs. But in the end, I think the partnership between Mahindra Singh Dhoni and Kedar Jadav um, was the difference between the two sides. It just shows that if you know two or a couple of those Australian batsmen had stayed on and played a bigger score, you know, even a 70 or 80 runs, the score would have been uh, about 270 and then it would have been above par. This was below par, in my opinion, the score on this pitch. And mm-hmm. 270 or 280 would have been a fighting total and you know something for their bowlers uh, uh, to defend. This was, in the end, um, Kedar Jadav for his 81 unbeaten uh, runs was adjudged uh, the player of the match. And India led the... India at that point, Lee led the five-match series 1-0. So, mm-hmm. it was Hyderabad. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you've covered uh, most of the events of the match very well. So, just if you were to look at it statistically, for me, you already pointed it out, but what really stood out was that Usman Khwaja or Stoinis or even Glenn Maxwell to an extent could not carry on. Right, they all got starts, even Peter Hanscom possibly. They all got start, but they couldn't carry on. As you said, if one of them had converted it to a hundred or even a eighty plus mm. score, probably mm. that was a difference. Another forty fifty runs to the Australian score. But mm. what I would like to give credit for uh, this, uh, keeping the boring middle overs really tight from Indian perspective, are the spinners. So uh, you already said Kuldeep Yadav, but also Jadeja and Jadhav. So both of these, well, these three in tandem, right? Between the three of them, they've pulled twenty seven overs. And they have gone at a strike uh, um, economy rate of under four and a half an over. Yeah. Right. Especially Jadeja had a very important role. He only gave away 33 runs, even though he could pick up a wicket. That was fantastic. Right. That's that's where the real difference lie between the two teams. I thought. Mm-hmm. The other one, of course, was Shami bowled a fantastic first spell. So his first spell, he couldn't get a wicket, but it was four overs, two maidens, and six runs. From there, I know he was a bit costly towards the end when you know Alex Carey and Nathan Coulter, Nathan Coulter Nile went after him. But that was to be expected, given that um, you know um, it, it's it's not a problem. Given that uh, some you go for a few runs near the end, Bumrah went for a few runs, but they ensured that you know the total did not cross beyond 250. That would have been a bit interesting on that pitch. And then again. When it comes to the chase, Kohli, this this mad guy who bats at 9800 strike rate, and he got out unexpectedly to Zampa. That came out of nowhere, I think. Mm. And Rohit Sharma was stodgy. So then Ambati Raidu looked really, uh, really stuck in both the ODIs, as we'll see. So Dhoni and Jadav played the perfect sort of a consolidation followed by an acceleration to finish. And Dhoni sort of guided Jadav through, or between them, they were able to manage it in such a way. Dhoni was scoring at 80, Jadav at 95. So between them, they wrapped up the chase perfectly. Right? So it was almost like a, a very good template for a chase when you've lost wickets right at the top sort of a match. right? Mm-hmm. So when you're uh, under 100 uh, for 4 or 5, this is the exact sort of a chase you're looking for when the total is not too high. I think. Mm-hmm. If you were to go to the second uh, ODI, it was again one of those stodgy, you know, middle of the chase, middle of the rung totals. But um, if you were to quickly look at the score, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so India batted first this time. Uh, and then um, they were only able to make 250. 
So this match was played in Nagpur. And then again, the form of the openers is a bit worrisome. So she, in this case, Rohit Sharma got out for a duck and Dhawan, we thought, had a start. He made 21 but couldn't convert it. Mm. And then everything rested on Kohli once again. And Kohli delivered. He scored his 40th one-day 100 to make 116 at nearly 96 strike rate, right? Mm. And then nobody in the middle order supported him much except Vijay Shankar. So again, Raidu made a very start G18. He, he looked really uncomfortable with both these one days. I don't know what is happening. He looked good on the fast uh, pitches outside India. But in India, back in India, he looks a bit... Oh, so he looks a bit bothered. We don't know. Maybe it's just good bowling as well, right, from uh, Australia. But he looked uh, completely out of sorts, very interestingly. Mm-hmm. Vijay Shankar has promoted to five in this match, right? And he took the bull by the horns. He scored at better than run a ball 46. He showed what value he can add to this one-day team, right? Mm-hmm. Interestingly, they chose to keep both Dhoni and Jada as finishers for this one-day. And some of it didn't work. Jada made only 11 and Dhoni got out first ball. Mm-hmm. Right, and then Jadeja sort of could not accelerate towards the end. He had 40 balls, but he only was able to make 21. And as a result, India could not last the complete 50 overs. They were bowled out for mm-hmm. 250. Mm-hmm. And then again, a lot of credit to first of all Patrick Cummins, who took four wickets, considering just 29 runs in his nine overs. Mm-hmm. And then again, though Zampa went at more than six and over, he was able to get two wickets. In this match, Glenn Maxwell, Zampa, Lyon, Lyon were able to bowl in tandem. So they, between them. When they bowled, they uh, for 30 within the 30 overs that they bowled, I think they went under an economy rate of five and they were able to get four wickets for the captain. That was very good bowling from them. And then com- uh, combined with what Cummins was able to do, Australia kept India to 250. So this was sort of a gettable target. And when Australia started the chase, they just started well. So Finch and Khaja put on a very attacking, you know, 83 in just 14 overs. And then first Finch was the first to go. So this is like a welcome sort of a half return to form also. I'm not saying he was completely looking comfortable, but Finch looks in the right mental space at the end of this innings in the second ODI. Khwaja was making a beautiful innings. He was playing well, but he got out uh, for 38. So he followed his captain at the same score, which was sort of not a good thing. That sort of meant two new batsmen were at the crease. So Sean Marsh was included in this uh, 11. Uh, meant that, you know, probably Stoinis would play at 6 or 7 or something. So Sean, Sean, Sean Mars could not go through or go on, and he just made 16, right? But Hanscombe played a very mature hand. He was very unlucky to miss out on a, uh, on a 50. He just made 48. And then Glenn Maxwell, finally, I think, law of averages, I think you tweeted rightfully, uh, caught up with him, and he was dismissed at four. That, le- that meant there was a lot of work to be done. When Glenn Maxwell was out at 132, well, the run rate was really not a problem, but the number of wickets probably was. So, a lot of kudos to India here. They kept striking, they kept pressurizing the Australian middle order, even right through the boring middle overs. And that meant Hanscom and Stoinis, even though they were uh, doing a good consolidation, they were always going to be up against it. But then Hanscom got out and Carey came in, and then Stoinis and Carey accelerated. So, it was sort of looking like they had the chase under control. And at one stage, with you know, 34 runs required. Uh, they had five wickets in hand and it was just under run a ball. So it looked like this is going to be a comfortable finish to the match. One of them, probably Stoinis, will open out his arms and, you know, they they would hit out and finish the match. But then when you look at it, something strange happened. Again, this is completely thanks to Bumrah. So Bumrah bowled a sterling spell when his last two overs combined, went for two runs and he took two wickets. So his ninth over was 
वन सिंगल विकेट डॉट विकेट डॉट डॉट and then his final over was five dots and a single so if you can imagine he was bowling the 46 and the 48 overs mm. and unbelievably uh, that really turned the table entirely on uh, australia and they were looking completely in control suddenly they were all at sea and uh, with seven balls remaining they required 15 runs and stoinis was sort of shielding bumrah or let's say leon away from bumrah and finally leon had a say and he hit a boundary Uh, of mohammad shami so that this gave 11 runs to stoinis in the last over somehow india not expecting the match to last this long kohli had probably uh, not gambled to bowl out all 10 overs in his fifth bowler that meant he had one over left to bowl from one of his part timers and he went to vijay shankar right mm-hmm. and then yeah. when you look at it he was i think vijay shankar delivered fantastically so this guy bowls a little slower than pandya probably and he doesn't come with this x factor that pandya mm. brings he's not from the west indian side apparently no. but uh, now he's from the south indian side and he's very steady good enough he showed with yeah he 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 showed what he can do with the bat mm. you know and then i think we were a bit skeptical of his efforts uh, last year from the indahas trophy but i think he puts this to bed quite comfortably now with his uh, sort of couple of innings in the recent past both in the t20s in new zealand and this series right yeah so uh he was given the ball and then he dismissed astoinis uh, first ball of the last over and then he took out zampa and made sure india won the match by 8 runs so that was very good and he held his nerve mostly i'll put it like this he doesn't bring really something special to the crease not a steep pace or a steep bounce none of these things but it is probably the presence of mind and calmness that he brings to the crease and it showed both with his bat and with the ball even though he had gone for 13 runs in his first over and kohli interested him with the last over of the game he had let's say the presence to just get through and get india the victory so mm-hmm. a lot of kudos to him there right and of course bumrah for his uh, 29 for 2 in 10 overs and then kuldeep yadav and kedar jadav again did their work even though kuldeep yadav was a bit costly along with jadeja i think they did the job of tying down the australian batsmen in the middle overs right so virat kohli was rightly named the man of the match in this game So that was a quick roundup of the two one-dayers that have happened. So India have taken a strong grip of the series, and Australia will have to look to do something special. Khwaja looks in good touch. Stoinis's place where his batting doesn't look good, but mm-hmm. I think they are getting more and more answers. They are, you know, they are uh, they are coming up with the blueprint of how how they want to play from the World Cup. I think, right? Yeah. Glenn Maxwell tries to push for a position in top four, but somehow he doesn't get it. I think uh, Langer shut him down. decisively after the t20 he had something to say maxwell mm. but langer said no no we'll play you where we think the team will benefit not where you will benefit right or something to this effect yeah. and then the other thing i think aaron finch is slowly coming back to form probably this is very important for them a so- solid opening stand which they showed today and nearly won them the match so that's very important right a fit and firing finch is going to make a lot of difference to this yeah. level right yeah. okay Now, if you were to move on to the other ODI series that's in progress, West Indies versus England, would you like to take us to the scorecard, maybe, Kiri? Before that, I would also like to add a couple of things about this uh, Australia. Uh, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. Please no worries, um, because I, I I have to point out some things here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had uh, frontline bowlers, three frontline bowlers, or two frontline bowlers, in fact, Adam Zampa and uh, Nathan Lyon, mm-hmm. in, uh, in their ODI squad, in, but. uh Aaron Finch actually bowled uh, Maxwell in the first mm. power play when uh, uh, when 
Rohit Sharma and uh, Shikhar Dhawan were batting. And Maxwell managed to get the wicket of Shikhar Dhawan. So uh-huh. it turned out to be quite an important... Uh, well, it turned out to be a good uh, tactic from, uh, uh-huh. uh, from, from Aaron Finch. That's one point. Right. And uh, at the end of Indian innings, uh, during the innings break, um, uh, Paddy Cummins was interviewed and he mentioned that 250 was probably a par score on this track. Mm-hmm. But the trick was um, that towards the end of the innings, as the ball got older, it was much harder to mm-hmm. uh, attack or to score freely. That's what also happened with Indian batsmen. So if you look at 42 or 40 overs plus, India couldn't accelerate because it was down to the ball as well as the ball sticking in the surface, not coming off the wicket as freely as it did when it was hard. So that was uh-huh. one point that he made. And he also mentioned that the guys who were batting at the top of the order had to go hard when the ball was still new. So uh, he kind of uh, spelled it out, you know, spelled out the tactic before Australian innings began, saying that Finch and uh, Khwaja would play more attacking shots and try mm-hmm. to score runs quickly, which they did, huh? which they, they they had an 83-run first wicket partnership. Uh, so mm-hmm. Khwaja tried to score further and then he got out, you know, uh, to... Um, Kuldeep, uh, Kuldeep, no, it was Kedar Jadav, in fact. Okay. Uh, so that's something we found out. So he played according to the plan. Whatever Paddy Cummins said, uh, that was uh, pretty much what they did. Uh, the see. other thing I want to mention here is the wicket of uh, Peter Hanscom, um, who played it towards point where Jadeja was the fielder. Uh, having recognized it was Jadeja, he sprinted across uh, the wicket but Jadeja was too fast for him. So he fired a rocket and then uh, got him run out. I think that was an inspiring uh, run out. Uh, it was probably the turning point of the match because Stoyan and right. Hanscom were batting really well together. And Hanscom was playing spin really well. He's a good player of spin. We all know that. And he was playing pretty much what was required of him. So he was going to take it deep and he was pro- probably going to finish the match for Australia had he been there. And... Okay. Um, Bumra and uh, Mohamed Shami um, basically bowled their overs out before the 50th over. And like you said, mm. Shankar bowled the last over. So we, you have to take your hat off for Virat Kohli here for not bowling either Kedar Jadav or Vijay, uh, Vijay Shankar, who were the two options he had um, because the other guys had bowled out. So he had to mm-hmm. bowl either these two part-timers or his two frontline bowlers. Uh, uh, fast bowlers. So he bowled them both out, uh, note, you know, uh, taking note that Stoinis was playing there. And Stoinis was playing for the last over. He was playing to take it deep and finish it in the last over, which was precisely his plan and he failed there. Mm-hmm. And Vijay Shankar in his interview at the end of the match, he also mentioned one more thing. There was a talk about giving him the 43rd or the 44th over. Um, uh-huh. So the, the Rohit Sharma... Uh, Virat Kohli and Mahindra Singh Dhoni got together and then they thought he he was to get the 43rd over, but then they decided against it and then said, we're going to keep you till the end. If Stoinis is still there, we, you're going to probably have to bowl the last over. So that was probably already there in the plan. And he said from mm-hmm. that moment on, he was started, uh, he started uh, thinking about or he was imagining the last uh, over being bowled by him and how he's going to do that. So he was trying to visualize that. And then he just came out and then expressed himself and it turned out uh, in his favor. So well done to him. So uh, he's, I think he's a smart cricketer. He bowled according to the situation, didn't try to do anything extravagant. So 
just bowled wicket mm-hmm. to wicket, got an LPW and a, and a bowl. So, so well done to Team India. They take a 2-0 lead in this series, like you said, and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of things to look forward to in the next match, which I don't know where it's played. Um, I've not looked at Ranchi, it as well. I'm... Ranchi. Yeah. Ranchi. Okay. These are the three uh, remaining venues. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Right. Good one. That's it. That's it. <laughs> no, good. Good that you. You know, it's 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 not a problem that we went back a little, but I think all the points you mentioned are very relevant and very good. So good points there. So uh, now that leaves us with um, England versus uh, West Indies series that's ongoing. I think we we shall quickly look at the last ODI, the fifth one. So uh, in the fifth ODI, right? Uh, we were discussing, you know, in the previous episode, this England uh, team is very brave and they will go all out. And it might mean that, you know, they make 480 in one day, but they might collapse to 60 the other day, another day, I say. Well, in this match, they didn't quite collapse to 60, but they collapsed to 113, right? Uh, so, first of all, um, in this match, I think the uh, pitch, the Grow Alley pitch, right, was surprisingly bouncy, almost like a tennis ball bounce was what it had. That basically meant, you know, the um, the heights that of the West Indian bowlers came into four. So all, all the West Indian bowlers are very tall. I think Cottrell might be the shortest of them, and he might be six foot or six foot one even. Right? Holder is two hundred and two. Probably Brathwaite is two hundred or two hundred and one. And then Oshin Thomas himself looks like he's probably one ninety eight. So uh, all of these are centimeters in height, and these people were able to make use of it very well. So while uh, batting first. You know, nobody in England made a real contribution. There are a couple of 20s, there are a couple of teens, but uh, that's about it. So a lot of credit goes to, well, first of all, Jason Holder, who opened the attack in place of, let's say, Oshane Thomas or somebody. He held back Oshane Thomas till when the ball was a bit older. And Oshane Thomas, I think he went for a few runs in the previous matches when he was bowling with the new ball. So instead, he also chose to bowl Brathwaite, who has a lot more experience trying to control batsmen going after him. Right? He chose to bowl uh, Brathwaite ahead of Oshane Thomas. And by the time Oshane Thomas got to bowl, England were sort of already softened, if I may use that term. And then Oshane Thomas ran through the England batting lineup. And many of the England batsmen that were dismissed, be it Oyen Morgan or be it Butler, right? And even Adil Rashid, all of these were just simply out based on the bounce, how much the ball bounced off the pitch. They were completely unexpected. And that meant, you know, England were dismissed for 113 in just 28 overs. 28.1 hours and Oshane Thomas finished with his first ODI 5-4. So he took a 5-21 and he was very well supported by Brathwaite who took 2-17, for 17, Captain Holder who took 2-28 for 28, and Cottrell who, who took 1-23. for 23. When they came out to bat, the sort of the match was sort of, uh, we knew it was going to be decided in West Indies' favour but then the way it was finished was not expected by anybody. I think Chris Gale, uh, I think we, we didn't realize it, but when he was walking off after his innings, I think he was a bit emotional. So this was his last innings in a West Indian shirt in ODIs, right? Because he's already said he's going to retire after the World Cup. So he played a very special knock, right? He made a 77 of just 27 balls with nine sixers and managed to lose a couple of balls along the way, as is want, right? He kept attacking and attacking and attacking. And then uh, by the time, well, the first wicket fell at 40, uh, it was uh, Campbell, right? He was not able to make a very big contribution in the series, but we'll see how uh, well how he'll do in the upcoming matches because we don't know if he's going to make the West Indian World Cup squad, but he had some 
promise john campbell and then shai hope came in at 3 and bravo and admire so everybody who came into bat just made sure gail got the strike and gail kept hitting and well um, england only used two bowlers wokes and wood both of whom went for plenty their economy rates were about 9 and i think uh, tom curran got to bowl one ball so west indies chased down the target of 113 in just 12.4 overs and this was the highest uh, number of balls left that england lost by let's say the number of balls by which the opposition chased their target down this is the highest in the record right also i think the score of 113 that uh, england made might be the lowest score that they made against west indies uh, so giri uh, quickly something you would like to add yeah one thing i would like to mention here is uh, i think chris kale uh, was caught in the deep probably at uh, square leg of ah. box and uh, it was ruled a no ball although it didn't uh-huh. look like on height you know on height interesting interesting so this didn't look like uh, a no ball it, it didn't it was not above shoulder height but That's the true. umpires seemed to disagree uh, was it referred or was it just given on the field you know if this decision scale took a step down the wicket he had a little shimmy uh-huh. and it was a bouncer and then he hoiked it it went straight to square leg i see uh, i see was chris walks or mark wood it was probably ah. yeah and mm. um he got out and he just stood there he didn't leave his crease and the umpires kind of consulted and then they had it checked and then it was ruled a no ball it was it was astonishing he hadn't yet i think he was probably still in his 30s then he had right. his uh, 50 so mm-hmm. i think west indies would still have won it would he have made mm. 72 had it not been ruled a no ball that's another question all right now maybe it was a little bit of uh, hometown emotion as well yeah but uh, yeah and another thing is uh, yeah oshain mm. thomas um, got his five wickets so it's probably his best figures in uh, one day cricket so it's uh, for sure yeah so it's good. it it bodes well for them you know uh, for the one day squad uh, that the indies have which is height and pace indeed you know, yeah strengthen their bowling department you know uh, speaking of oshin thomas considering he was only he was only seen a couple of months ago on the international scene it looks like the weight is literally dropping off him you know a much more chubbier person was the person who took his place in the west indian lineup but as and more as and when the matches go on you see this person becoming more and more fast bowler like becoming more harder and more lean so to say and at that boats really well for west indies i think they may have big plans for this guy you know mm. so uh, speaking of big plans well it looks like the first t20 which was underway while we had started the recording is just completed so giri uh, would you like to take us through the first t20 between west indies and england quickly yeah very quickly um so this was played at uh, grosley at the same ground where the last one day match was played west mm-hmm. indies batting first made 160 runs for the loss of eight wickets Mm-hmm. um apart from is it nicolas puran yeah nicolas puran nobody else contributed he made a 58 mm-hmm. uh, and uh, darren bravo made 28 runs apart from that there is no standout player from their side uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to play. um for bowlers uh, english bowlers uh, tom curran got four wickets for 36 runs and chris jordan making a comeback into the team he got two wickets for 16 runs Adil Rashid miserly miserly figures of 1 for 15 in his four overs. Mhm. Joe Denley 
rolled his arm over for uh, 28 runs and a wicket. England um, basically chased down this target with uh, seven balls to spare. So 161 for six in the end. Uh, with the momentum being enforced uh, at the top of the order by uh, Johnny Bairstow, who made a quick fire 68 of 40 deliveries, nine fours and two sixers. Um, Joe Root, Owen Morgan did not uh, contribute anything. I think Joe Root was a duck, got out for zero and Owen mm-hmm. for eight. Uh, Joe Denley and Sam Billings had a small stand together. Denley made uh, 30 runs and Sam Billings making a comeback, another guy. Uh, I think he's also a wicketkeeper. I don't think he keeps wickets anymore, but well, he's there for his batting uh, skills anyway. So he made mm-hmm. eight runs and um, in the end, was easy peasy for uh, for England. And um, although Sheldon Cottrell picked up three wickets for 29 runs in his 3.5 overs, uh, and wicket apiece for Ashley Nurse, Holder, and Brathwaite. They couldn't manage to, uh, you know, um, restrict England. So, so England take a 1-0 lead in this uh, three-match series. Yeah. Well, um, you you covered most of the points very well. Uh, just one special mention is to um, Adil Rashid, who pulled a fantastic spell in a T20. He took four overs, 15 for one. Mm-hmm. That's that's very good bowling, right? Considering that, you know, he was playing against a team full of big hitters. He was not afraid to toss the ball up and he got even a wicket. That of Carlos Brathwaite, you know. Carlos Brathwaite looked all at sea against Rashid. That was a fantastic over. I was able to catch that over. And uh, Carlos Brathwaite made a six-ball duck. And he was completely all at sea against Rashid. So that was very nice to see a spinner sort of weaving his web, even though it's a T20. Uh, he was able to do his work very well. So I think he's really benefiting from all the confidence he has been given by this team management in the last few uh, weeks, let's say, in the shorter formats of the game. Yeah? Yeah. So I think uh, going forward in the upcoming episodes, we'll be covering the rest of the T20s as well. Right? Yeah. Now, if you were to look at some of the other uh, points, miscellaneous points, so the first one is that, uh, well, Shashank Manohar has rejected uh, BCCA's request that all cricket-playing countries... Uh, uh, not have any cricketing ties with uh, countries that harbor terrorism, right? So it was understood that on the last day of the meeting of BCCI, uh, sorry, of ICC, well, uh, Shashank Manohar, who's the chairman of ICC, brought up this point himself, right? So none of the other countries mentioned or were present were actually uh, taking this point up. But Shashank Manohar, who had a letter by BCCI, brought it up as one of the last points in the quarterly meeting. Yeah, the quarterly board meeting on Saturday, and mentioned that you know probably um, a forum like BCC, uh, ICC is not the right one, right? So any ban on Pakistan or any other country that would be playing in the World Cup or you know even for bilateral series between Pakistan and any other country would not be really up to the ICC because any bilateral problems that existed between Pakistan and any other country, let's say India in this case had to be addressed in probably a different forum, not by ICC. This is what he felt, right? So he brought the point up himself and he sort of uh, gave his, let's say, ruling or let's say the decision of the board when he brought it up. So this is point number one. Point number two is a really small one. Steve Smith, um, well, 
uh, he's uh, now not playing and while he's waiting for the rest of his band to finish off which would happens on 29th march he's coaching the club the club for which he's played all his life sutherland from new south wales and they have now advanced to the finals of the national premier cricket t20 competition this is a t20 competition for clubs in australia and his team the team he's coaching is now advanced to the uh, well the final yeah so so uh, those were some of the miscellaneous points so all that remains is the trivia question and the housekeeping so the trivia question for this week guys and girls is which was the first ever first class match in india so which was the match that was given first class status or recognized as a first class match for the first time ever in india so please do get in touch with us with your answers on twitter you can reach us at @amchakrikpod on facebook we can also look for @amchakrikpod right also you can write to us at amchakrikpod@gmail.com also you can leave us uh, your answers in comments on either your podcasting app or on apple itunes or on facebook or any other you know platform from which you listen to our podcast so as always we always request that you spread the word about our podcast you are our real strength and the more you talk about our podcast the more encouragement we get also um if any of you has any suggestions about uh, the upcoming episodes some topics you want to hear us cover or one of these things you could get in touch with us also if any of you consider yourself to be a cricketing expert or would like to comment or would like to add your opinions to our podcast to get in touch with us uh, so we could we could you know accommodate a guest or two here and there so we are also welcoming people who want to have their say on the podcast so please do get in touch for all of these things and more so having said all that i think uh, it's the time to say goodbye so it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from him Goodbye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone